Good afternoon from Dubai and uh, good morning and good evening to the audience, depending on where you are coming in from. So we are back with another exciting webinar. It's part of our What's Next series. And today we are going to have a conversation around return to office. And I think this is a very relevant topic in today's uh, scenario. And we will be uh, discussing this with our illustrious panel of speakers. We'll be talking about the challenges and opportunities in this new hybrid world. And I think we can all agree that uh, the future of work is hybrid. And we need to learn from what we have seen in the last 15 months to create a workplace where everyone can thrive. So let me quickly introduce, uh, or rather reintroduce our panel. Uh, for those of you who were with us last time, John Scott is back. He is a thought leader uh, from New York. Uh, we have Arnaud, who is coming in from France. And uh, he mm -hmm. is the face of happiness in Europe, if I have described you right. And Rajiv, uh, my good friend uh, from Dubai, and he runs the Happiness Coaching Center. And uh, good to have you back, Rajiv. We also have uh, two new panelists with us, uh, Dr. Rina and Thibault. And I will let uh, Dr. Rina introduce herself to our audience. Over to you, Dr. Rina. Hi, um, I'm Rina Marfatia. I am an internal medicine and infectious diseases specialist. I practice in San Francisco, California. Um, this pandemic's kind of been an interesting time, especially for an infectious diseases specialist, because this is where, this is what I trained for, not expecting it to ever happen, but here we are. Um, so I have been working with companies through the pandemic, um, helping them kind of stay safe through the pandemic, what kind of work schedules to be, have, um, and now returning to work. So we're working on what works best. Um, also working on mental wellness through the pandemic which is really important. So I'm here for you. Ask me anything you have um, and I'll hand it over to Thibault. <laughs> Thibault, your mic, your mic. We can't hear you. Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Yes, 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 good. Okay, I'm Thibault. Uh, I'm a consultant. I've been working in the consulting industry for the last 20 years. Uh, I'm based in Paris. And I'm specialized in the uh, support for transformation for large organizations and teams. Um, and these last weeks, months, surprisingly, I'm working a lot um, in bringing hybrid work uh, into the companies and of my clients. So I'm bringing them support to help their employees coming back to work in their office. So I'm very happy to share this with you today and ask me any question you want about that topic. And Charal, I'm sure we'll cover lots of topics uh, today. Sure. Uh, thank you, Thibault, for that introduction. So let's get started uh, with our conversations today. And um, I want to uh, read out this quote that I read uh, recently. It's by uh, George Anders of uh, LinkedIn. And he says, uh, be ready to build a new plan not just once or twice, perhaps three or four times, because what worked for your people and your business in April 
may not work in November. So I think organizations uh, need to be nimble and agile. John Scott, what do you think? Yes, of course. Thanks, Sharad. So agility and the opportunity to be nimble is, is a critical criteria for organizations always. And the pandemic has really accelerated that requirement to make sure, to your point, that they not only are engaging their teams where they are presently, and it's now late June, late June, yeah. Uh, the looking forward to the fall is going to be difficult to just put it in place and say, we're going to stay here. It's also interesting to look at this through the lens of, you know, it's not in spite of business success and the criteria and rigor that businesses need to set a flexible schedule. It's because of this. It's actually because we want organizations to thrive and to grow and to take the opportunities to really connect with their teams to make sure that they can help them get to those places while honoring those people as individuals. And it's really because we're looking at the end goal for everyone, for the organizations, for their part, you know, for their employees and executives and for their customers. So it really does a full sweep around. So uh, I'll kick it over to uh, Arnaud and see what you think about that. Thank you, John. Roger that, as we say in America, Roger that. <laughs> uh, Yes, I've been uh, I've been back in France for two years, and um, I've been coaching forever for at least the last ten years. And we have now a personal growth platform called Humanava. But what I'm seeing is just really this notion of trust. I don't know if some of you have read this amazing book called Trust by uh, Fujiyama. I think it was this Japanese consultant years ago, and he already talked about the notion of trust in Asia, America, Europe, and in Europe, especially, we have a really hard time with trusting people. We know whether it's in France or America, or I don't know about Dubai, but I know some part in Asia, 50% of the population workforce wants to come back at work, right? 50%. Yet, and especially in France now, and many parts in Europe, it looks like up to 80% of managers want the entire workforce to come back. Because since you know, COVID seemed to be a bit away, sort of, and, and, and they do not care at all about the, the, the mental health of some people, even though they talk about it, but it's just lip service. Uh, so there's really a notion of trust, of trusting people for the very first time to do the work they know how to do. And let's see how they become autonomous with this. Let's see how productive they can be, because this is the only way when you trust people, you can have a great surprise. You can have amazing creativity. You can have uh, create space for them, mental space. And unless you create mental space for them, you won't have creativity. You won't have surprise, and you won't have the product you need now for the for this crisis. Right? You need new product. You need new way of working. Uh, and, and this goes together with the corporate culture as well. Um, you know, corporate culture is dying right now everywhere since. Uh, a corporate culture is there's nothing theoretical about this. A culture, a corporate culture is made out of the traditions of everyone's energy in a company. And right now, since some people are leaving the company, 50% are in burnout, some are in depression, some are getting fired, the product doesn't no longer exist. Uh, you need a new create to create a new corporate culture. Up to you, Rajiv. I, I love this. This conversation is, is really up my alley because we talk about 
you know, flexibility. Now moving to culture and, and what, let's look at it from a, from a different way. I love what you're saying, Anna. I absolutely agree. There's so much that needs to be done. We look at corporate culture. And I always think that we, as organizations, and I, and I want to take a second to recognize that organizations all over are trying their best to adapt, right? I mean, this has just come on to everyone. It's not like everyone came with a manual, right? So they, they're trying to figure this out. Your point on autonomy was brilliant because autonomy, in the one of the articles I read today on autonomy was that people who have worked from home, uh, they found the productivity had actually gone up, surprisingly. Now, I, it depends on which article you read and what, right? So there's all kinds of information coming out to all of us. And depending on your industry, you'll have something that you resonate with, some may not. But yes, there is, there is definitely a culture that is changing. There is a culture that is, that is evolving. A lot of people are coming back to work at certain stages as we've seen this return to office is not straightforward. It's not everyone's headed back, but there's gonna be different transitions. So flexibility is really, really imperative right now. And when we talk about culture, it's really first and foremost, and I know John Scott and I have spoken about this, is how do we take pulse? Where are we? It's a living entity. You know, we cannot think of culture as something that just, it, those words on the wall, 100% agree or no. The minute that we look at a culture as, as stagnant, you know, we, we're, we're dropping the ball. What we need to really understand is we can use it in our favor when we take its pulse and understand it's a living culture, right? I'm going to jump in and address, uh, address some of the questions. So um, we have uh, some word that things are different in, France, in uh, Germany. They're still working remotely. There's not as much of a return to the office uh, push. And also Antonio mentioned, um, hey Antonio, that the World Economic Forum said that 40% or so are looking, they're thinking about quitting or changing jobs. And do we think that a big wave of quitting is going to happen and how to deal with it? So I'll just say, I think uh, everyone, and it's very funny because the C-suite people I've been speaking to who are running these return to office programs have all quietly, not all, excuse me, several have quietly said, you know, if something came up near my house, I would be looking at it too. So it's a very interesting swirl. Even the C-suite is looking at their convenience, their mental health, their ways of working. To, uh, to go back to Arnaud's point, trust is a huge issue. I, I would think that at this point, I'll, I'll kick it over to Thibaut. I, I would think at this point, after a year plus of remote work, that there would be some uh, evidence-based thoughts about trust and about this. And I'll also ask Thibaut, uh, when you're done, let's kick it over to Rena to get into the mental health aspect as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very surprising because it's been a year that we are working, working remotely, and I don't know one single company that has been bankrupt because of this. And mainly, all my clients have kept their performance high. So we have a factual evidence that remote work is not... Um, working against the performance. But in the same time, I'm not sure it's a question of uh, trust. Um, if you say that a manager can't manage his people physically, physically, I mean, not physically, you know, what, what is his purpose at that moment? If he doesn't meet his colleagues and employees once a week or twice a week, what is his job? So it's maybe a question of identity for the managers to have their teams with them and the question that i've been that i've raised for my clients is how do you try to reconciliate the needs of the organization and the needs and will of your employees even if they are managing managers because somehow sometimes i can be more efficient home 
for some tasks, but for some other tasks, I will be much more efficient with my colleagues at my office. So somewhere is trying to design and put in place a process that will allow to reconciliate those two aspects. But I'm sure that Rina, you had had some patients that have been in very difficult places because of remote work or being too much at, at work in the office. So there is a combination, especially uh, where I am. I'm in the Bay Area. We have a lot of corporations, a lot of uh, companies that are actually tech companies. So, um, and the current tech company layout is like an open layout. It's like a giant room. Everyone's sharing a desk. It's not necessarily the best layout for a pandemic. However, when we were working pre-pandemic, this same layout used to cause anxiety for certain people because they feel like they're constantly under the microscope. They're around a lot of people. On the flip side, there are other people who thrived on this because they were extroverts. They had that instant input from colleagues. They had people around them, so it was great. Now, the pandemic comes and the people who are thriving are having trouble because now they're isolated and they're at home. The people who didn't like this or found it too loud or too busy all the time were thriving. So having a balance really helps both groups of people because those who thrive in that environment can go and work in that environment, have that feedback that they're looking for, which they thrive on. And those who work well at home can continue doing that. The challenge sometimes I feel, like you said, is for managers, right? Because a lot of managers the performance evaluation is based on your interaction. A lot of it comes from what your gut response is to some, some person, one person versus another. And this is a great place to evaluate how we, uh, or see how we evaluate people because maybe there has to be a more concrete way, which is standard and it can be applied across all forms, which makes it a little more fair because it's not based on a personal interpretation of a person, it kind of removes that aspect of like, I don't really like this part of this person, so I'm gonna ding them for it. Because it's all based on productivity, it, it's based on what they're giving. So it actually may help everyone all around rather than just one part. And I think it's a great way to approach it, commuting, um, especially when you're in a bigger city, the amount of time you spend it either in your car or on public transport and the things you can do in those hours, even if it's just exercising, which is so good for your mental health or catching up with your family, which is so good for your mental health. There's so many benefits of being able to do that, um, work from home and cut out some of the and carve out some personal time that I feel it would be great to have a combination because some days you just can't do that. You have to be around your people. So I think everyone's bringing up really good points for mental health and just overall health um, to, um, you know, have a hybrid model. Um, if I may comment, uh, if I may just comment for a second, and I was reading this, I think just uh, this past week, there are organizations now, especially in the US, who are having allowances for mental health issues for employees. And not mm -hmm. only having allowances, they are following up with the team managers if the employees are actually using those allowances because loneliness is a killer, right? Mm -hmm. There is no more of those water cooler conversations that you were used to having. You are sitting day in, day out in front of a computer. There is a digital exhaustion setting in. There are burnout issues. 
So Dr. Reena, my question to you is, how do people fight loneliness while working from home? Do you have any suggestions or anything that is practical that people should be looking at? So there are several things. I feel like a lot of times, the amount of time we spend at work prevents us from forming community around us. So I think it's really important to try to get to know the people you're living with. Um, if you live in an apartment, try to know your neighbors. If you live in a neighborhood, try to know your neighbors. For example, and this is a personal example just today, I am visiting my sister and I know no one over here and I needed someone to watch my kids so that I could do this. And guess who's doing it? A neighbor. Because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to develop community where you live. You want to frequent those restaurants, maybe not the ones at work. I come from a very um, privileged kind of company culture, right? When you're at Google or you're at Twitter, any of those big companies, Facebook, you name it, they're all here. You get to eat at work. You get to go to the gym at work. You get to actually do your laundry at work. So people have started making their homes at work, but we need to start getting back into the community we live with. And I think it serves as a little bit of a reality check as well, because not everyone is living that privileged life. Maybe someone next door to you is an essential worker and has to go into work, but it reminds you that not everyone actually has a choice either. And it keeps us grounded. So get to know people around you, talk to them, see what they can, how you can help them, how they can help you and form a local community. So you have more on both sides from work and at home. Someone just asked that question right now about how companies should invest in fitness and mental health. I think they're doing it already. But again, it is offered to a privileged few. Not every company has the capacity to do that. And if your company is offering you that, recognize that you're coming already from a place that is a, a company that can offer that. Not every company can. We were working through the pandemic with people from smaller restaurants, people who had to go into work because they are living paycheck to paycheck or not even. And those are the people we need to make sure we're staying connected with because they don't have these resources. And that's where our role is in the society that combats loneliness. It fulfills that need for helping that we have as humans. It gives us that internal satisfaction. And maybe Rajiv, you can add something to that um, as I see you nodding your head. Absolutely. I love, I love what you're saying. I completely resonate. It's absolutely right. And there's the element that, that, you know, we look at mental health and it's always been very reactive in organizations. It's always like, well, what do we do when that's a problem? But, you know, proactive mental well-being. Right now, a lot of organizations are realizing that people are coming back at different states. And if you can be proactive about it, give them tools. You know, I love these stories when you hear organizations stepping up and providing these facilities. Like you said, not everyone has that, the resources to do that. And, and what else can we do? I guess the conversation goes, as we return to the office now, whatever the stage is, whatever the different in industries are, what are some tips we can apply, Dr. Rina? I love, I love what you said about community building when you're working from home. But for those people that in some industries, they do have to come back, right? So if you're, if you're maybe in the hotel industry or some other industry where there is that face-to-face -face requirement, you may come back a little scared. You know, you may be... Uh, you may have, you may be in grief. There, there may be different situations. Everybody has different situations coming back in right now. Organizations 
can take proactive steps, right? Dr. Rina, we can, we can create, you know, uh, support circles. And so there is stuff we can do um, to accommodate even that before it goes into the, the space of, of mental health and, 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 and um, cure. Do you agree? Do you think, that, what are the advice you have for that space? So um, I think it's, a, it's, it's really um, a mixed bag of things. Um, and again, I think looking inside to see who you are and looking inside to what your needs are, are important. And self-reflection is really hard. Um, sometimes even recognizing that you're feeling lonely is hard to admit. Uh, or saying that I can't really be with my family any longer and I need to go to work, that's really hard to say. There's so many cultural things, there's so many things that we've grown up with that admitting some of these things is really hard. So I think being honest with oneself to see what your needs are so that you can address them and meet them in an honest way is going to be something that's really important. Um, it's funny, Irina, you just reminded me it, it goes back to the original point about being nimble and evolutionary in leadership because I can say, for, for just as an example, Arena was in the office. She was like the 7 a.m. to 10 o'clock. We see her in the office constantly. She was just driving free, you know, all the time. She never took a day off. She never did blah, 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 blah. And now you've had this you know, transformation like everyone in the world has had over the last 16, 18 months to say, okay, like, let me reassess it's important to me, my priorities, how I work, how I'm productive. And it really goes into that point where I want to really have the dialogue with my clients about the fact that mental health and paying attention to your employees is a smart business move, period. It is right. it's something that I think some C-suite executives will hear and they tune out when you start talking about mental health and well-being. They think it's like, you know, yoga class uh, at lunch. It's not, it's not simply those things. If you want to be competitive and viable and accelerate your success going forward, the organizations that do that, the leaders that do that are going to pay attention to this in, in perpetuity because it's really, really critical. And I wanna, I wanna kick it back to Thibault, a question from our friend Loren in France. Do you believe teams have a better chance to be empowered after the remote work experience, even if hybrid uh, becomes a norm? It kind of is all germane to what we're talking about. You know, do you think that teams are getting more empowered? Yeah, I, I, I do think so. But it's to me, it's very close to a question Arnold raised before about the autonomy. And I had this discussion with one of my colleagues and a client yesterday evening. And he said, my guys have to be more autonomous in their work. I said, yes, autonomous is not independent. So you have to be able to work together as a team. And on the other side, the autonomy is only possible if you have a clear framework in which you can be autonomous. Because if you put no framework, that's anarchy. That's not autonomy. So here again, it's a matter of balance, I think, between the freedom you give to your employees, teammates, people, and uh, the framework, the guidelines you give them just to be sure that everybody is working in the same go the same direction because at the end of the day, if the company is not able to be performant, to be good enough, everybody lose. So we need to find the right balance to help our clients being more performant and be more successful and also be good employers and give, it, give them 
employees, an acceptable and correct desired uh, balance, work-life balance, because I think it's all about that word. Balance is very important to me. I think it's, it's also important, and I'll ask uh, Arnaud for this one. Have you seen organizations where I just talked about the changes that employees have felt? Have you seen organizational leadership shifting? And if so, how have they shifted in this regard? Uh, I mean, for me, I, I always come back to, I think, uh, the, the, yeah, the, I think it's, it's all linked for me, the risk, the uh, autonomy, the, the, the give people the power and experimenting, as you say, when, one of you, I think it was Shard, when you start the webinar, uh, we're gonna have to change in so many things we've done, the work somewhere is not gonna work again. And, and I mean, I, I was a pioneer in the world in, the, in, in creating and training chief happiness officer, right? People, res not responsible, but able to change happiness at work. And I've done that across the world. And the only time it doesn't work, every time there's a chief happiness officer in a company, it's because someone tried to implement too much frame, framework, too much structure, too much KPI, doesn't work. All my CHO that works, whether they're in New York, they're in Paris, the American, uh, uh, Latin America, it's because they, they agree, the manager, the CEO, to have uh, some leeway to experiment and it's, it's, for me, it's all closed. It's all linked, autonomy, the risk to experiment. We're in the world, we have to experiment. So we have to be creative and a creative guy experiment. He doesn't have an idea of just sitting on a desk for two hours, give me a product. No, he has a, he's trying things, he's incubating things. And then he comes up with a product. And now all of us, which is hard for many corporate people, all of us need to be artists in some way to let free, to, to experiment. So I understand it's tough for CEOs and managers. I understand it's tough. They, they, they're not gonna have a performance um, as they want, maybe in six months, one year, but guess what? As you said, uh, Thibault, it's, it's gonna stay there. I mean, people are gonna, they're gonna have to get used to, uh, it's a, you know, and, and experiment. I mean, I was just in the world of events where I'm coming from, I, I, I've done a lot of events. Some of my friends, you know, bankrupt in France a few, few months ago. Some of them kept going. Some just put aside. I used to organize big events. I put aside. One of my friends, she kept going. She raised money. She did one of the biggest events in Paris. Nobody came. Nobody came. There was uh, 150 booths, 150 booths. 300 corporate were ready to sell. Almost no one came. It was it was, she's, she's, you know, she, she didn't want to adapt. She didn't want to do a smaller event. She's like, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to make this event. I believe, I believe. I'm a corporate. I need revenue, Arno. I said, just moving on. You, 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 you're not, uh, you still, you have enough money to pay your rent. It's okay. You're not going to make revenue this year. You keep, yeah. keep, and some people, I see so many corporations just keep pushing. No, it's going to work. And, I had three friends calling me today in Europe, canceling the event, three friends, not enough. And at least it's good they're doing now before losing too much money and having everyone mad to them. I mean, people were shouting at the end of the event, shouting at each other. I lost money, Why? you told us a lot of thousands of people were gonna come. And I see that just experiment, accept, accept to be small. We're in a reinvention. 
And every time we reinvent ourselves, I've done it 15 times. There is sacrifice to be made. Either it's financially, morally, for your family, sacrifice. And as long as CEO doesn't understand this. But as, to your point, Rina, I love what you said. And a friend of mine reminded me of, of this yesterday. 80%, and I'm sure you, you, you think the same, right? You heard the same. 80% 80, 80 of people are not self-aware already. They're not self-aware. They're not conscious of what they do, of the rhythm, of what they think, of how they act, how they act with themselves and people. So what can you expect from those people? They have to take management decision in terms of crisis, and they're not already aware of their rhythm. For the very first time this year, some uh, uh, in France, but it could have been, I guess, anywhere in the world, some CEO asked me to, um, to, uh, to do private uh, coaching on, on empathy on, on, uh, on inter emotional intelligence. And I'm not an emotional intelligence expert. I work with it, but there's much more expert than me. I'm not the expert. And yet they say, we need to understand how we deal. I can't deal with my employee. They all want, they're not good at home. They don't know what to do. I can't deal. I don't want to take the time with them. I have no idea. I'm not a, a psychologist. They say, well, you're going to have to do it, at least with your top manager. And your top manager, have, they're going to have to do with the people under. We, we, what you're talking about is, is a, a really big epidemic of finite thinking. And there's countless examples of this. You know, Steve Jobs after Apple one and two went to, believe it or not, Xerox Innovation Lab in the late 70s and figured out that he had to trash the entire investment in human capital, money, research, and rework it based on things he saw there like the cursor and the mouse. And, uh, and reinvented the Apple computer system and revolutionized it. But the people in the short term and people on Wall Street were freaking out because they knew to your point that it was gonna take a hit. And that's, a, that's an inherent risk that organizations and leaders are really reluctant to take. I'll ask, uh, I'll ask someone to jump in. Yeah, if, I may, if I may just go uh, into our chat because uh, Melvis has uh, put in a long comment. He's not asking a question but he's uh, sharing his real life experience here of how he got stuck in India for eight months during COVID time because there was a complete lockdown, right? In Mumbai and no flights in and out. So eight months, how he survived without family, um, you know, he lived on his own and it was so difficult. And he eventually got back uh, to reunite with his family in Dubai. And so I think these are some real world experiences, right? That a lot of us have gone through and it's I think the basic instinct of survival that can, kicks in and keeps us going and we we just have to be I guess like a dynamo you know self-motivated because you don't always have a support system around you and uh, that's a good story Melvis thanks for sharing and uh, it's good to know you are reunited with your family and I hope everything works out well for you so thank you for uh, for uh, posting that on the chat. Yeah, coming back uh, to maybe uh, I go to John Scott again, and I think uh, John Scott coming back to how organizations need to get real. I think uh, leaders have to have a employee first strategy. Yeah, that's and, uh, and, and it's a real wake up call for leaders, right? It really is because I think that, you know, and I'll, I'll kick it over to the group in a sec. I think that looking at things employee first, again, leaders see that as compromising their, their ability to control and direct the vision of organizations. But, and I say the but really specifically, and I can, I can hear Loren laughing from France uh, with this, 
but not end, but the organizations and leaders that thrive and succeed will absolutely have to look at the holistic view of their organization in ways they never did before. So it's absolutely critical because what's happening now to your point earlier is organizational leaders are, are saying, well, I need to get everyone back. We need to get everyone ramped up again. We need to, it's a totally, I had this conversation with a leader last May of 2020 on a video call. He said, I just need everyone back in the office, back doing their jobs the way they were. And I leaned in really close and I said, it's over. What you knew before is done. The ability to say you need to be in the office. And this is a good question for the group because it's an issue I face with my clients all the time. Other than, uh, and I'll laugh about, uh, <laughs> Lorraine was laughing. My friend Antonio's comment, sometimes being trapped at home with your family 24 seven is also a killer. Uh, you know, and I know Antonio personally and his uh, little girl is wonderful and I'm sure the energy of a toddler around is, is uh, pros and cons all the time. But how do, you, how do you really find that balance if you don't open yourself up to new opportunities and new options? Right? So I think if you can think about this leader I had last uh, May in a conversation who said, I need everyone back. I don't care, we have to come back. He took a very, in my opinion, as a parent, a very parental view, which is the simple answer we give our children sometimes is because, because I'm the boss, that's it. There's no explanation. Now you have this different Pareto rule in place where you have 80% of the work getting done by 20% of the top people in the organization. And those 20% of the people are desirable to other organizations. So now to other, some of the other chat questions, how is that going to impact organizations? People are going to leave. I think we're going to see a revolution between now, June of 21, and the end of 2022. It's going to be one of the most migratory places for really high-performing leaders in the history and in the fourth industrial revolution that we're in the midst of right now. So I kick that back to the group. How do you feel your clients and your uh, view of your the business world around you is evolving or needs to evolve uh, in that regard? Uh, Thibaut, so oh, Rena. <laughs> if I may jump in, what I feel is change is hard. Change, whether positive or negative, is really hard. And right now, I think everyone's struggling with this because a pandemic has had us change and accommodate and adjust almost every week. There's something new that's thrown at us. And all we want is to go back to the way things were, where there were no change, and let's just be done with it. And I feel a lot of leaders are stuck in that place where we just want to go back to where we knew and not have to deal with the change. So this is a time where there's going to be a new crop of people who can help these leaders through where it's either coaching or there's someone who comes in with a change management perspective on how to manage these things to help all the leaders navigate this change so that they don't say, this is how I want it because I said so, but to give them something to hold on to, to help lead their team through the change and be effective leaders. So I feel like that's going to be something that's important. I think Thibaut has something to add to it. I know you were going to say something, so. Yeah, thank you, Rina. I mean, it's basically they have to go through that change too. So what we're saying to leaders is that you have to try fast, to fail fast, and to learn fast. And then you can do it again. And then you will be adaptable. But something very, very, very strange weird during the, the, the lockdown in Paris. I have some friends in the consulting industry and 
when you're seeing things from a young urban employee, they only wanted one thing, going back to work. And my friend was struggling of having too much people in the office because the young guys and ladies of his company just wanted one thing, being together as groups because they were suffering a lot, isolated in small flats in Paris. So they wanted to just join and gather and be together. So, and there was a study released a few days ago in France showing that very clearly, it depends of your role in the company, the higher you are, the more comfortable you are working from home. If you're a male or female, it has an impact. If you're young or not, it has an impact. So basically what everybody's saying is the same in all the studies I've, I've been watching for the last six months. 80% of the employees want to come back to the office for something like two and a half days a week. And they don't want any open space. The flex office that was the very, very um, hype environment these last months, 80% of the people say, we don't want flex office. We want to have closed offices for one on several people, but we want to be together and to be able to manage our space. So people want to do their home at, at, at work. So all these things will create lots of insecurity for the CEOs and their top management teams. So they have to experiment. They have to think about the culture they want to put in place for the coming months, years in their company, and then try to experiment it with their guys, with their teams, and leave room for failure, leave room for experimentation and learnings, and leave room for, yes, freedom and, and higher um, involvement of their people because of that. Thibaut, if I may come in here, I want to bring the technology angle into this conversation. Now, we all agree that digital transformation has accelerated post-COVID, right, big time. And there are now a lot of collaborative tools that are being built. And John Scott, you remember you introduced us to Rebel Base, right? It's a great collaborative platform where you can have mentors in one continent, your teams working from yet another, and it, it works seamlessly, right? The collaboration tools and the way technology has evolved in the last 15 months is amazing. And this also calls for retraining of the workforce because not everybody is digitally savvy, right? People uh, before COVID were somehow surviving without being too computer friendly. But in these times where you are forced to be so savvy, I think technology plays a major role in bridging that gap. So if any one of you want to jump in with any experience where you think technology is helping uh, people uh, you know, work as teams together, clearly if you look at Microsoft uh, Teams or Google Meet or Zoom, uh, the number of hours and minutes, I mean, it's exponentially increasing week on week, right? So uh, any, anybody wants to take it forward in terms of how technology is going to help us, uh, you know, I, work closely? I'll, I'll jump in, Jared, here. You know, it's interesting. You know, a lot of us were forced to adapt and, and pick up, you know, technology. Some of us coaching, we've worked with Zoom in the past. We, we've been comfortable. But a lot of organizations adopted meetings, you know, by force. We had to use technology. And just sticking on this, for example, the, the thing is technology is, is a tool that we can always plug in as, as businesses. We, we, we see the benefits of this, but we have to learn 
We have to learn how to apply these technologies, even in times when it's not, for example, now it was difficult because we were in the pandemic, we had to, you know, we had the distance. But when, when we get over this, this phase and we start to return to the office, you know, it's possible that we won't be using this technology as much, but still there is the opportunity to learn and continue to you know, use these technologies in our businesses because there is so much good that's come out of this, right? I mean, we, someone here spoke about the commuting, right? In, in certain cities around the world, you, know, you waste hours and hours driving, right? So this has really helped. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of connections that have been made that were not possible, right? So technology has really broken down, has opened up the, the world for all of us. I mean, this conversation today is amazing because we are from, sitting from all around the world and we're having this conversation, right? And, and it, it invites you to, to explore how, as technology is being developed, as new things come out, you know, it's giving businesses an edge to understand that you can apply this and expand your people. They say the problem is where people start to take one to the extreme and they go, for example, the, the whole journey to the, the AI. AI is fantastic, has a lot, of, a lot of amazing benefits, but at the same time, humanizing processes is just as important, right? So we have to learn to balance as organizations. We have to learn how we can, you know, empower our people Ensure there was a question earlier someone asked on, on physical and mental well-being. And they, they said, is it important that one year out? You know, what's your take on that? So, you know, yes, you know, the, the balance technology is important, but so is the physical and mental well-being. Organizations must actively now look at creating this marriage. And we've been given this opportunity to experience it. Extreme, definitely. This has been an extreme. I throw it to, to you guys on the screen. I mean, it has been difficult, but people have embraced it. It has brought a lot of good tools. Antonio brought up a good question just now, which is, you know, how do you handle when a company, um, in terms of setting boundaries, right? Mm. This is such a challenge for employees uh, and for leaders also. What are the healthy boundaries? You know, is it okay to say to your employees, well, you know, you have to be on the call at 2 a.m., you know, and those of us on this call uh, have experience with working at bizarre hours for sure. But is, is it a practice that you should be aware of? Because I think, and I'll kick it back to the group just after this one comment, the promise, and I'm old enough to remember time before this and before the internet, um, the promise of this was freedom. The promise of technology was freedom. What, what's happened up until now is the accessibility and availability has just been cumulative and just piling on top of the work uh, time. It's not been either or, or you know, I'm, I'm going to be out of the office, reach me here. There's a meme that went around about the differences between uh, the United States and the rest of the world, which is, you know, my out of office greeting in the US is I'm going for surgery. I'm just having a kidney transplant, but you know, reach me on my cell. I'll get back to you within three hours after anesthesia. And in Europe, it said, uh, thanks for your message. I'm on holiday. I'll write you back in September, three months from now. So, I mean, it's a joke, but I think the, you know, the technology exists to empower teams, but where does that go into mental and physical health and also healthy boundaries? Because right now, my assessment of technology is that it's just more upon more upon more upon more so that there's literally no time, and I'm guilty of it too, and those of you on the screen, most of you and some of you uh, participating in this, know that if you text me, or uh, Sherrod and I have this joke, if you send me a WhatsApp or an email at any time, I probably will respond within five, 10 minutes. And it's a problem. I mean, I, I have to admit my own problem with this. So what's the group think about this in terms of setting boundaries and- Just a question, John, you are in Dubai now, right? No, I'm in New York. Are you in New York? Okay, so I'll just try around, yeah, 2 a.m. 
me your time. I just want to explain. Right. You know, um, I'll tell you something about this. There are people pre-pandemic who used to work globally or manage teams globally. And you may, I think when we're talking about a hybrid, it's very unlikely there are very few circumstances in which you're going to have a team that is spread out over very different time zones where someone's going to be available at 2 a.m. and it's actually your 2 a.m. And if this is a situation, it's most likely because that is your job. You are in global services or you're providing some kind of a global service. So that kind of comes with the job. In this situation, what I've seen people do is managers and leaders get creative is like, one time I'm inconvenienced, the next time another team member is inconvenienced. So it's a fair system because we know that all of us are in it together and your team is just like that. It's going to be very unlikely that a company that operates mainly in New York and all the employees are in New York are going to have something that's going to be in a very different time setting. So if, for example, I were still home, it would have been a 7 a.m. call for me instead it's a 10 a.m. call for me. And that's a minor difference for me, but it's because I travel. So it's my inconvenience. It's not, not for the company to absorb. So just remember that not everything is for the company to do. Some of it is because we've put ourselves in that situation and keep it real. Like keep yeah. evaluating it from both sides. And the flip side of that, which is interesting, Rena, is I, I know that I've talked to leaders and clients of mine, I coach personally, who said, you know, I don't understand. I called, I tried to get Rena on the phone and I know she's home. This was during major lockdowns, right? I know she's home, but she didn't answer the call. So I thought for my second, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, I presumed it was during business time. I said, what time did you call her? And he goes, oh, I called it. It was around, it was like 1030 on Sunday night, but you know, I know she's home. And I was like, whoa, what are you doing? So I think that it's, it's, a, it's a dialogue, right? It's an important dialogue to have happen. And I think that hopefully leaders have had their flirt with this as well, where they've been inconvenienced or at least tried to pass that around a bit so that it's not only one side. You know, like I think my biggest challenges with uh, time zones have always been exactly what you said. You know, we'll take a turn and, you know, I'm doing a four or five o'clock in the morning call one day and they're doing a midnight call one day. And it's, you know, we try to make it somehow have some parity. But I think it's communication that goes back to that piece, right? What do you think, Arnaud? I mean, I was just thinking because I, you know, I was living in New York for 10 years and actually last Sunday, I called someone at 10.30 in the morning for a business thing, right? And uh, the and she's a friend, but she answered, she texted me later that day, Arnaud, we don't do that. We never call for business on a Sunday. It's like, oh yes, right. I forgot I'm back in France now. Right? <laughs> Hello, and so, and so it's it's a and and she's I, I think it's good to have a Sunday totally off where you I didn't have to call her on Sunday I could have wait Monday morning really. Right, but that again that's a geographic you know particularity because Sunday is a work day in Dubai, so do I call someone in Dubai on a Friday? These are just conversations and awareness that has to happen. You know, like, uh, like I think uh, Rajiv is Rajiv is very good in uh, taking Fridays and Saturdays totally off from work, right, Rajiv? Totally I'm, I'm big on that. I mean, I, I was going to say the same thing what I know and, and, and John Scott were saying, and, and just say that you know we need to. And I love Dr. Rina's point. You need to take the responsibility also. You gotta you gotta step in and and, and call, draw that line, that balance, right? Um, Friday, Saturday, I give to my kids, and and that means that you know a really important call. I'll take it. But I'll do my best to, to be present, 
be present with my kids, be present with the family, do what I need to do with everyone, right? We have to create balance, right? And we have to be proactively doing that all the time, even as business leaders, right? Even as organizations is being present in the moment and seeing, you know, there was a point that you guys made earlier. I didn't want to interrupt it, but it was really, really important was meet your, meet your teams where they are also. Come, come and meet them. Take stock of where you are. It all starts with taking stock, guys. You know, we want to implement. I love the, the, the proposals of experimenting, taking risks, of course, but it starts with taking stock. See where you are. Meet people where they are also. Identify what is working, what isn't working, right? I don't think this is going to be a time where one shoe is going to fit all industries, right? There is going to be, there has to, the, the key word, John Scott, you nailed in the very beginning was flexibility and adaptability, right? And in this journey of experimentation, as we take stock and see what's working, what isn't working, we're going to learn. We're going to continue to learn. Yes, we may fail, but that also leaves us with some lessons. Yeah. So I have a question for the whole group. Yeah, I have a question for everyone. Uh, how do you propose to address organizations and leaders that say, you know, it's over, I need everybody back. And, uh, and how, you know, what is, what's your reflex in that when you, uh, when you have a person or you have a team or who's shown and demonstrated, it's not even a trust issue in, to some degree now because they've had this time to demonstrate whether or not they have risen to or adapted to or both uh, the occasion to do their jobs well. So how do you take, I'm curious truly, and I'll stop after this. How do you take a person who has performed at a high level and now is required to be back in the office and their reflex is, well, why can't I just keep doing this? You know, if it works John for Scott, me. if yes. I may come in, uh, there are enough studies by Deloitte's and McKinsey's which say clearly that employees are going to dictate the terms from here on. And if organizations are not willing to adapt to their requirements, they are going to lead, yep. period, right? So I don't think leaders have a choice on this. It has to be employee first all the way. And if you look at maybe three years hence, let's not only discuss the present scenario, right? Uh, let's look into three years later or five years later, perhaps. I think, again, the model that we are discussing is going to change on its head yet again. Sure. Right. And I think if uh, leaders have to achieve the objectives of the organization, they have to now work around the employees first. And if they take that approach now, then they are going to thrive in future. So it's that's my take on, on your question. I, I, want, I want to jump in as well, if I can, on that point. It, it's and there was a question also relative to what you're talking about, where it came to, we talk about employees and we talk about, someone asked about motivation right now. And I think this is, this is really something we all, as leaders, as organizations, and even as people who are working at organizations have to really understand is there's a big difference between motivation and inspiration. Organizations need to step up now to the plate and start to answer questions like, why do we count? Why does our organization count? Start to inspire so that people can come and have intrinsic motivation driving them. Because this is a time now where, you know, people have gone through a lot. They come back now, you know, they really need, like, like John Scott said, I've worked really well. Uh, I've done good. I'm, I'm hitting the, my results. Why do I need to come back to the office? We need now inspiration more than ever. We need to be flexible for sure. And we need to find ways to adapt. And I keep on bringing that back. You know, inspiration is going to be gold in the next three years. So you're going to see that companies that inspire, are going to be skyrocketing. 
motivation. That quote I saw, yeah, that quote I saw, which said, if you have to have your employees physically in the office all day, every day to get things done, you don't have an employee engagement issue. You have a leadership issue. Mm-hmm. And that's so true. So true. I'd like to jump like, in here a little bit, talking about leadership is one of the things they need to also look back and think about is how hard they have worked on getting a diverse workplace where there's enough women, there's all these people from communities that don't have the right kind of support and they're going to be the ones that are hurt the most if we make it a very rigid schedule. And so all the progress that you've made in making sure that you are having a diverse workplace accommodating all these people with different needs, you're going to lose that progress you've made. So you want to try to make sure that you're taking into consideration all these things when you make it. I can do certain things that I couldn't before because I'm at home and in between my meetings, I can attend to my kids and they're taken care of and I can still do that. Parents especially, and not just moms, parents especially are going to feel a real pain when we take away this flexibility. The amount of time they used to get with their kids, the amount of time that they're able to kind of spend in a quality way is going to be taken away. Um, People who don't have the community support where they can have affordable healthcare or not healthcare, childcare, they're going to suffer. So you want to make sure that you are able to support your employees to the fullest extent and you don't lose out on the diversity that they have worked so, so hard on getting. Well, you want to come in? Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about your question, John Scott, and I must say I am quite embarrassed. I, I don't know what I would say to leaders saying, I want my people come back five days a week, because at the end of the day, if he's the CEO, he's the boss, it's his will, well, try it, and you'll see. And as Sharon said, history will tell you if you were right or not. But, and it's it's somewhere about a question we have on the um, on Zoom, but is giving employee um, gym access or some benefits like this a good thing f- for companies? My personal point of view is I don't care. It depends on the rest of the culture. I mean, if you give access to a gym as a company, but you have a very hard culture, and you have managers pushing the limits every day and pushing the limits every night with your employees. I don't care about the gym. Be a little bit softer with your employees and forget the gym. So there again, it's about the global aspect of your culture and the balance between being focused on work and sometimes working hard and giving people space and rooms for freedom and flexibility and personal life. And so, but. To me, and I love what you said, Rina, before about responsibility, it, to me, it comes with autonomy. And what we're doing, we are inviting our clients, employees to think about free chairs when they want to think about the way they want to work. Think as if you were sitting in free chairs, one after the other one. What are the company needs? First chair, the chair of the company. What are the needs of your company or organization? What does it needs to be performant to be successful? Then think about the chair of your team. How do you work as a team if you never met? 
There is no culture in a company if nobody meets anybody anytime. So think about the needs of your team and then think about your needs, the way you love to work, the things you need to be efficient. And then you can try to make a decision towards your choices of work and discuss these choices with your colleagues and your manager. So this is the way we do things with our clients. And because I think you, you, you can't ask for lots of freedom and autonomy and not being responsible of your results at the end of the day. So there again, it's a matter of balance, I think. Thibault, I would add two words to that. I, I agree, absolutely. There's accountability that goes with the autonomy. Are you accountable? And two, United Results, are you guys, are you working towards the same results? Are you delivering? So as long as those are the two that are, that are coming to the table and you can trust your team, you're moving in the right direction. And that's, managers need to start realizing that that's where the, the plan can come from. But it, Whether, depends, on, it depends on what you are, you are calling uh, results. Because if you put in the results, the fact that you are contributing to your company culture life, to your company culture evolution, you have to be at work some days. You have to contribute effectively being there with your colleagues and making the culture real and, and, and alive. So it depends on what you put behind the results. But yes, I think you have to deliver some things to be allowed to ask things. And one thing I would do is reframe the way we speak. We're not failing, we're learning. It is an experience when it doesn't work, you learn from it and you re-implement what changes into something that works. That's how everything works. We're not failing, we're learning at every step. And that's going to be something that we have to keep teaching ourselves. That we're not going into a state of steadiness. We have to come with a growth mindset and we continually learn and grow and learn and grow. I think uh, on that happy note, uh, Rina, it's almost 60 minutes since we started and time just flies right when you're having fun. So uh, allow me or I will give the panel maybe uh, 30 seconds to one minute on your closing thoughts on the topic. We'll start with Arno. Uh, trust, uh, autonomy, love more others next to you uh, at work. Find a passion, find whatever you, you, whatever you can connect to them. And, uh, and, and yeah, and finger vision, you know, Colonel Stockdale, for any of you that read Colonel Stock, Stockdale words on resilience, he said, you must never, never uh, um, mistake two different things, your vision that you're building, a beautiful, positive, global vision, and then the fact that you have to fight every single day just to stand up. And I love this thing, you know, creating your vision and then do whatever you do to fight and, and stay on the ring every day. Thanks. And before, before I go to uh, the next panelist, I have to go into the chat box one more time because I was fortunate to uh, meet Shibon uh, Riordan from the UK just day before. And uh, she has come in with, I think, which will be a perfect closing line for our webinar. And she wants uh, to quote Rumi, the famous uh, Persian poet, and it says, out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. And mm -hmm. I think that's from an employee and a leader's uh, you know, perspective. There is a middle ground. 
and I think that's very appropriate. So thank you, uh, Shibon, for uh, for highlighting that. Uh, uh, Rajiv, uh, you're next. Well, closing, I, I add, closing points. Yeah, I add to what Arnaud said, and I'd say you know for organizations, this is a time really to look back into you know your purpose, go back to being purpose led, be kind because this is a time when when we all need that, you know, open to learning as what Dr. Vina said, bring that to the table. And more than anything, this is a time when we all must come together, right? We must come together as, as a world. Yes. You know, this is an opportunity to do things better, right? So let's reset and let's take it forward. So that's- John Scott, closing. Um, I think that it's, it's really simple. I think the closing statement, I'll, I'll think about this is, you have to be in, you know, for those of you that know me, uh, the Man of the Arena by Teddy Roosevelt is a quote that I try to live by every day. And basically the summary is uh, getting involved, staying active, uh, adapting to failures or learnings as Arena appropriately framed it, and to get involved and stay involved. I think the challenges will accelerate if there is passivity and if there's a, you know, a hands-off approach to let things go back to where they were. So stay involved. And, uh, and I always ask, like, you know, are you in? Are you in the arena? Are you making things happen and trying? Uh, so that's my final point on this. Kimbo. Yeah, uh, I would say in France, we say to take some risks. And I prefer the American way of seeing things, take a chance. So I would say, think about your purpose and take the chance of trying something, find your way and do what you love. and love what you do because on the end of the day, if you have to fight to get to your purpose, you have to love every single thing you do. So love what you do and life is better. Right, Rina, you have the last word. All right, well, I would probably just say, be honest with yourself. Don't be afraid. It's uncertain times. It's okay to be afraid of anything and everything. Seek help when you need it because that's what people are, we're here for. Like we want to help you get through this. It's uncertain times. And just remember, you're not alone in this. We're all in it together. We're all going through it. Someone's probably feeling it a hundred times more than you. And someone's probably feeling it 10 times less than you, but we're all feeling it to a certain extent. So you're not alone. Just know that the world is with you. All right, great. So allow me to close. Thank you, Arnold. Thank you, Raji. Thank you, John Scott. Thank you, Thibault. Thank you, Rina. And thank you to the lovely audience for spending your 60 minutes uh, with us. We, we cherish that. And we'll be back with another edition of What's Next pretty soon. We still have to figure that one out as a team, but we will be. And uh, we will see you on the other side. So good evening and all the best from all of us. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs>